welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is the Christmas Eve edition. Thank you for joining us. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. There's a story of a school in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. The school housed kindergarten through eighth grade, so kind of a broad uh, range of ages. And one year, there was a particularly determined student uh, with special needs who was set on having a speaking part in the Christmas pageant. So they decided to make this particular student into the innkeeper. They figured he could handle uh, the lines for the innkeeper because what he had to say was no room. Twice. Once before Mary spoke and then once after she spoke. Simple enough to simply say no room. Well, the night of the pageant came and Mary knocked on the door and he opens the door and he says in brusque fashion the words that he's supposed to say, no room. But then Mary responded, but I'm sick and I'm cold and I'm going to have a baby. And if you don't give me a place to sleep, my baby will be born in the cold, in the cold, cold night. The little innkeeper, the little boy just stood there. And then behind him was another boy who nudged him and said, no room, no room. Say it, their word, no room. And finally, the innkeeper, little boy playing the innkeeper, turned around and said, I know what I'm supposed to say, but she can have my room. (laughs) Quite a message from a little boy. And that's the question for all of us. Have we, have you made room for Jesus in your life? It's not as easy as you think. We're in a world of busy activity, busy with school, busy with work, with family, even holiday celebrations. We can be so busy that we never actually make room for Jesus. Little joke from David Letterman. He said, Halloween is the beginning of the holiday shopping season, but that's for women. The beginning of the holiday shopping season for men is Christmas Eve. I don't know if it's really quite that cut and dry, but I know a lot of people who start their shopping on Christmas Eve, and it's a stressful experience. Have you been caught up in that sort of pressure lately? Maybe not with holiday preparations, but maybe life has just carried you off. It's gotten more busy than you could handle. And when that happens, it's easy to shut Jesus out. I want to invite you tonight to receive the hope of heaven. God has appeared. God has saved. And we can be restored to his family and have eternal life if we would just believe. I want to read to you Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God has appeared. We need to hear that. We need to understand that. We need to take that truth into our lives and into our hearts and receive Jesus. God has appeared. Perhaps that's the easy part of Christmas for us to understand. And we uh, read about the story of Jesus being born in a manger. We, we can understand. We read the Gospels and we see Jesus walking on the earth. We go, okay, God has appeared. We know the name Emmanuel, God with us. 
despite our culture's move away from religious imagery, nativity still can be seen and found all over the place. It's easy to say, ah, God has appeared. He's arrived. However, we do not always understand what this means. Think for a moment of a Christmas gift that you really want, or maybe you wanted at one time in your life. As a child, there were many gifts that I wanted. A Lego castle set, a Super Nintendo Entertainment System, a stereo of my very own. I can think of many things that I thought would make me happy, that would be fun, that were, all, that were what I always wanted. And many of those things I was privileged enough to be able to receive, and many I didn't. As a child, I was focused on the gift. Not until later, it wasn't until much later that I realized how important the giver was. And now, I'm in a place where I enjoy giving gifts to my own family, and I enjoy it more than receiving them. It's a way that I, that I can express my love for them. And many people base their feelings about God on what He has or has not given them. I've met many people who would tell me what they want from God. They wanted healing. They, they wanted a miracle, restoration in their family. I've met people who are angry at God for not undoing some painful or devastating thing that happened in their life. We can get so focused on what God has given or not given that we miss His real gift to us. Long ago, there ruled in Persia a wise and good king. He loved his people, and he wanted to know how they lived, and he wanted to know about their hardships. Often he dressed in the clothes of a working man or a beggar and went to the homes of the poor. No one whom he visited thought that he was their ruler. One time he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the coarse food the poor man ate. He spoke cheerfully, kind, he spoke cheerful and kind words to him, and then he left. Later, he visited the poor man again and disclosed his identity by saying, I am your king. The king thought the man would surely ask for some gift or favor, but he didn't. Instead, he said, you left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark and dreary place. You ate co the coarse food that I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. To others, you've given your rich gifts, but to me, you have given yourself. And that's what God has done. He has given us his very self. Why would he do this? Titus 3.4 gives us a clue. It doesn't just say God appeared. Instead, we're told that the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared. He could have appeared in anger, but instead he appeared for our benefit. He's kind. He loves you and he loves me. He came to save us. Max Lucado says this, God loves you just as you are, but too much to leave you that way. The people who love you the most in life will not accept you for who you are. They'll love you, but they'll push you and empower you to become the best possible version of yourself. And God is this way for you and me. He wants us to see, he wants to see us thrive and flourish in life. He knows even more than we do ourselves how much we are capable of and how wondrous we are. God also sees that we're trapped in sin. And, and I know we don't like that God sees we're trapped in our sin. And we don't like to hear that we have sin. How awful to point out our flaws. 
Timothy Keller, in his book, Hidden Christmas, addresses this idea about not wanting to have the awful things pointed out as our sin. And he says this, Christmas is about receiving presents, but consider how challenging it is to receive certain kinds of gifts. Gifts. Some gifts, by their very nature, make you swallow your pride. Imagining, imagine opening a present on Christmas morning from a friend, and it's a diet book. Then you take off a ribbon and uh, take off another ribbon and and wrapper from another present, and you find another book from another friend entitled "Overcoming Selfishness." If you say to them, "Thank you so much," you're in a sense admitting that, "Yeah, I need these because I'm fat and I'm obnoxious." In other words, some gifts are hard to receive because to do so is to admit you have flaws and weaknesses, and you need help, perhaps. On some occasion, you've had a friend who figured out you're in some financial trouble and came to you and offered you a large sum of money to get you out of your predicament. If that's ever happened to you, you've probably found that you that to receive the gift meant swallowing your pride a little bit. There's never been a gift offered that makes you, makes you swallow your pride to the depths as the gift of Jesus. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. And that's what we find in Titus chapter 3. God appeared. He has saved us because we needed saving from ourselves in our sin. Titus 3.3 explains the situation. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What a description that verse is. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, even using the word slaves. We are slaves to our brokenness and sin. We are slaves to hatred and hating others. I think we can see that all too well in our world today. You know what? Slavery requires liberation. And this is why God appears. Jesus was born on that first Christmas day to bring you and me liberation. And so we rejoice that God has appeared, but we celebrate that God has saved. It's so funny because what looks to us like a helpless babe in a manger is the savior of all humanity. Humanity. German theologian Jürgen Moltmann writes these words about Jesus. He says, God became man that dehumanized men might become true men. We become true men in the community of the incarnate the suffering and loving, the human God. Jesus is our Savior. He saves powerfully and completely. He allows us to become true men and women again. And Titus gives us a few words that describe the dimensions of that salvation. It has a dimension of mercy. Oh, and mercy is welcome. Though I do not think we often feel the weight of mercy. Last Sunday, we talked about grace and defined it as unmerited favor. Mercy fits into this definition, but there's a little bit more to it. Justice is for those who deserve it, it is said. Mercy is for those who don't. In other words, mercy is getting a reprieve from what you do deserve. It is receiving a kindness that we do not deserve. Titus 3.3 describes the reality of humanity. We are enslaved to hate and hating. We may dedicate ourselves to getting better, but we're still trapped in our sin. 
God is merciful, though. He brings salvation instead of judgment. He saves us where we are completely unable to save ourselves. Another dimension to the salvation that is offered here is it is washing to make us clean again. God cleans us of sin. He cleans us in a way that we cannot take care of on our own. Another dimension is renewal. We are transformed by the Holy Spirit. He renews us. And so then we stand justified. God declares us righteous. We no longer have to be known by our sin and our shame. 1 Corinthians 6.11 talks to us about this, saying, And which were some of, and such were some of you, uh, meaning sinners. So, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So, God has appeared. God has saved. And because of this, we get to be part of God's family and have the hope of eternal life. Christmas is a wonderful holiday, and I hope you have great family memories and traditions. But even more so, Christmas is about joining into the family of God. Our text in Titus speaks of Christians becoming heirs. So, if you follow Jesus, if you call him your Lord and Savior, you become a part of God's family. And we then are the inheritors of God's promises. James Merritt says this, God became part of the human family so that we could become part of his heavenly family. So, will you receive Jesus? If you're willing, by God's mercy, you'll be saved. You'll be redeemed and you'll be justified and you'll enter into the hope of eternal life. Lewis Smedes writes, waiting is the hardest work of hope. I agree with that. Waiting is a difficult thing to do, and it's the hardest part of hope. I know for our children, waiting to open presents is very difficult, but every Christian must now wait, and it's not easy. Some of you sit this Christmas Eve feeling a great burden, feeling pain, feeling loneliness, feeling like you're in a place you never wanted to be in a place in life, and we have to wait. Hope might seem out of reach, but tonight I invite you to take in again the wonder of God. God appeared, God saving us, and God setting before us the promise of heaven. Do the work of hope. Wait, even when it's hard. One last quote from Augustine of Hippo. Trust the past to God's mercy. Trust the present to God's love and the future to God's providence. Will you place a renewed trust in God this night? Let's pray. O God, you have caused this holy night to shine with the brightness of Jesus, the true light. Grant that we who have known the mystery of that light on earth, that we may also enjoy him perfectly in heaven, where with you and the Holy Spirit he lives and reigns, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. Merry Christmas to you, and go with Jesus.